our Bible reading is in Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 to 46. And I want the youngsters just to listen as we go through the Bible reading. You can follow it on the screen if you haven't got your Bibles with you. I want you to listen. We've got two groups of people in this passage described as sheep and goats. The sheep are on the right and the goats are on the left. And I want you to look and to listen and to see, to take note, what is the difference between these two people, groups of people? What's the difference? As So there's two differences. One is the difference that tells us why they are sheep or goats. And the other is the different uh, outcome for these two groups. So I want you just, just to try and listen to that and try and see if you can spot that in our reading. Matthew 25, verse 31. <clears throat> when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on the right and the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick, and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty, or a stranger or naked, or sick or in prison, and did not minister to you? And he will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. We thank God for his wonderful wonderful word. Heavenly Father, as we come to your written word, we ask that through it you would reveal to us your living word, Jesus Christ. We ask these things in your name. Amen. Right, for a little context to our passage, um, it's uh, the end of Jesus' teaching about his second coming. Jesus teaches in Matthew 24 and 25 all about uh, his second coming. And in the previous verses to this chapter, there are two other parables. Now, you young people will probably um, remember some of the uh, 
parts of these other two parables. So I just thought I'd briefly uh, mention those. One of them is the parable about the 10 bridesmaids. Now, can you young people remember anything about the parable of the 10 bridesmaids? In uh, God's word, we read that there were 10 bridesmaids and these bridesmaids were waiting for the bridegroom to come. And we read that five of them were prepared and ready and they had all that they needed. And five of them suddenly realized because it took a long while for the bridegroom to come. And five of them suddenly realized they didn't have enough oil. They were not prepared. They were not ready. And when they went off into the town to get what they needed, the bridegroom came and they missed out. Those five missed out because they weren't ready. They were not prepared for when the bridegroom came. And also the next parable is the parable of the talents. The parable of the talents, which is like money. And in that parable, there is the master of the house, the, the man who's in charge, he's going to be going away and he gets some of his, uh, uh, his, his servants, some of those people who work for him, and he gives them sums of money. And uh, God's word tells us that um, in this parable, one gets five, one gets two, and one gets one. Now, I know some of you youngsters, I think I remember maybe Isabel doing this at, at our school recently. They had a, some money, maybe was it a five pound note or something, and they had to go and use this five pound note to make some, they had to buy something and make something and sell that thing to try and make more money. Well, that was a little bit like what these, um, these three people in God's word, in this parable, they got these sums of money and, and they were expected, it was assumed that they would use that to advantage. And there's one who was given five. And it, when his master returns, he calls these three to, to him. And the one who had been given five has 10. It has increased and he now has 10. And there's one who had, was given two. And when he uh, presents what he has, he has four. He has doubled what he had. But the one who had one had done nothing. He had done nothing with what he had. He had simply buried it in the ground uh, to hide it. And we hear, we read as we uh, read that parable, the one who uh, just buried it. The Bible says that he misses out on the eternal joy that the other two uh, receive and is cast into eternal darkness. So that's where we are in this parable. We are just following those two. As, God is, uh, as Jesus is explaining to his people the importance of being ready, of being ready for his return. So if I was to ask you young people and you old people as well, uh, and all those in between, obviously, because there's some that are in between, young and old. If I was to ask you to describe God in one or two words, you don't have to shout them out, but just think what, what one or two words would come into your mind. Now, let's say if we went out into the great uh, metropolis of Arkham and we were to ask all the people that were rushing up and down the streets, if they would describe God in, in one or two words, I wonder what words would come to their minds. I wonder what words would come to their minds. And I guess there'd be varied words. I'm guessing that if I was to, to limit you to one or two words in this room, there'd be lots of different ones. And out on the streets, it'd be equally the same. Now, I guess that one of the more popular words that would come up would be the word love. Because God, our God, is a God of love. But in today's passage, we look at how God is also a God of judgment. And I'm guessing that would be a word that would come up less. It would come up less often as you were thinking, and as certainly the people on the streets would think less of the fact that God is a God of judgment. 
Now, some are of the thinking that the God of the Old Testament, he is a God of wrath and a God of judgment. But the God of the New Testament, he is a God of love. But the reality is the God of the Old Testament is both a God of love and a God of judgment. The New Testament is also full of the God of judgment and often it's focused on eternal judgment. As this passage is today, it's about uh, judgment and what will happen to us after we die. Because he is the one true God. He never changes. You see, the God we serve today is the God of the Old Testament, is the God of the New Testament. It's the God of today, the God of forever. He's the one true God who allows us to be part of his family through his son, Jesus Christ. And this morning's passage speaks about judgment and separation. So as I've explained, these chapters that I've mentioned, 24 and 25, are a warning of a final judgment to come. But as we've seen, God is a God of both love and judgment. He's warning us in these chapters, warning us of coming judgment out of his love for us. He's warning us of of judgment to come. It would be unloving not to warn us of something that is coming our way. And when I was thinking of that, I was thinking some of you who are a bit older and who drive cars, and maybe you've been coming out of uh, driving towards a village, I know sometimes it happens to me, and I'm driving towards a village and there's a 30 mile an hour speed limit. And sometimes there'll be a car coming out of that village and they'll be flashing his lights and they'll be waving at me through the windscreen. And I think, see, I don't know this person. And then the penny drops. I wonder if just round this corner, there's judgment coming. There's judgment coming as to how fast I am driving. Now, some of you who were into your teenage years, our evening's 13 now. Some of you are in, they'll be 13, 14, 15. It's not long before you're, there's some over there who are driving and haven't been driving very long. When you get driving, there are times when you will go into a village, into a speed, and you will be judged as to how fast you are driving by a speed camera around the corner. And hopefully, I think, it's, I think it might actually be illegal to, to warn people of a speed camera, but I might be wrong with that. But sometimes you'll be driving and someone will be flashing their lights and waving to you, reminding you that this is a 30 mile an hour speed limit and round the corner is judgment. Slow down, take heed, be prepared for that judgment round the corner. And that's what these verses, these chapters are doing. These chapters are warning us of coming judgment out of love for us that we may take heed and be ready. And I thought to myself as I uh, was preparing, I thought that's maybe a lesson certainly to me and maybe to us all. It's loving to warn those of the things to come. And it's unloving to sit back, not warn others of what we know will definitely happen. So youngsters too, some of you youngsters, um, sometimes your parents will warn you of things. They will sometimes maybe even have to discipline you. I don't know whether any children here have never had to be disciplined. I think that's very unlikely looking round. I know most of you from Sunday school and I'd be surprised if you've not needed to be disciplined at some point. Um, Our parents warn us out of love for us. For example, there may be something that is dangerous. Take electric plug sockets or fires in our homes. There's lots of things in our homes that are dangerous. And our parents will tell us, no, don't do that. 
Don't do that, Joah. Don't do that, Evelyn. Don't do that, Margaret. Because it's dangerous. It's dangerous. Don't worry, it's nothing you're doing right now, Joah. <laughs> this is an example of your parents warning you. And they warn you out of love for you because they know the consequences of your actions. Right, so back to our passage. So if, so if our passage talks of separation and judgment, we need to know what it's all about. So the first question we're going to ask, and I don't know whether some of you uh, youngsters were listening to our reading, the first question we're going to ask is who? Who is this judgment for? Well, the answer to that is this judgment is for everyone. It's for all, each and every single one. So now, uh, if you're at school, some of you go to uh, QES even, and I know Dylan teaches in QES, and there will be times in, in your uh, school, even at primary school, where your teacher will want to, to work out uh, what you're learning, will want to work out if you're paying attention, will want to work out where you're at. And the teacher will probably set a little test now, sometimes this test might not actually even be a test that you know or, or realize. It might not even be a one to ten questions, but the teacher will be watching and be working out what you're doing. And for the teacher to know, they have to do this across the whole class. It's no good just picking two people. They have to do it across the whole class. Everybody will have the same test to the same scale, and then you'll get your effort grades and your marks and all these things on your school reports. Well, the Bible tells us here that everyone, everyone is subject to this judgment. Verse 31 of our reading, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne before him will be gathered all the nations. All the nations will gather before him and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates a sheep from the goats. So here we see how God will judge through his son Jesus. It's clear that all will be judged, all peoples, all nations. They will all be gathered and separated into two groups. So this judgment we know is for all people. It's in the future. It will happen just as the shepherd separates sheep and goats. So we see that this coming judgment is for everyone as all the people are separated into these two categories. Then the following verses explain to us and tell us what it means for these two groups. Verses 33 to 40. And he will place the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you a drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the kingdom will answer, the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. So here we see we have the sheep on the right, on the right-hand side of Jesus. And what is going to be for them? We read there, come, you who are blessed. 
you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. So these sheep that are on the right, they get a huge inheritance, it says, an inheritance from because they get to go into and be part of God's great kingdom. So everyone wants to be on the right. Everyone wants to be on the right-hand side, the right hand of blessing, the right hand of honour, the right hand of inheritance. We see often in the, uh, in the Old Testament how the right hand is the hand of inheritance and blessing. We see Jacob back in the Old Testament as he is setting out to bless his grandsons, Ephraim and Manasseh. He actually uh, even crosses over his hands to make sure that his right hand is on the one whom he wants to bless, the one who will carry on the inheritance. So everyone wants to be on the right. Everyone wants to be a sheep. How do we know? So that's the question. How do we know if we are a sheep? How is it possible to make a distinction of these two separate groups? What makes some to be on the right and others on the left? Well, we clearly see here one of the ways sheep are distinguished from goats. One of the ways to tell is by what they do. So youngsters, I want you to listen again. Um, in the, our reading, there are six things here that the Bible uses as examples of how we, can, uh, we would act as sheep, as we would act as people who would sit on the right-hand side of God. So there are six problems or issues that we would see out in the world. And I want you to... Um, actually, I have some sweets. I could, could ask some questions again. <laughs> So there's just six up for grabs here. Well, we'll do three of them, say. Then I get some sweets to take home. Um, so if you were to see... So I want you to tell me what is the, uh, the reaction that you should have or we should have to these problems that we see in, in the world. So if we were to see people out in the world who are hungry, what would be our reaction? What should we do in order to help with that problem? Lewis, go... Feed them, yes. Give them something to eat. Can you catch? <laughs> I'll pick another one. <clears throat> oh, this one here is a little bit more difficult. The Bible tells us um, that we will find strangers in the world, people who have no homes, who have nowhere to go, who are maybe lost or uh, are, uh, abroad and away from their families. What could we do to help in that situation? Yes, Margaret? Yes, yeah, exactly. We could take them in, give them somewhere to stay. You could share that with your sister or brother if you wanted. Oh, sorry, Gemma. And then I'll pick another one. Another one was... was um, the sick and those who are ill. If we come across people who are sick and ill, and that, that often happens, doesn't it, in fellowships, in, in chapel here, we have people who are often unwell. Uh, so what is something that we could do in order to show our love and care for them? Go, Levi. Oh, sorry, Hannah. Yeah, we could help them. Yeah, that's one thing we could do. Have you got something different that you want to tell us, Hannah? No? Oh. Well, I would, I'll throw you a sweet anyway. Can you catch? Oh, I got your mother. So these are some of the things that we can do. We can visit people, can't we, who aren't well. And these are some of the signs, some of the things that show that we are the sheep uh, of God's kingdom. It's what sets these people apart, we read. 
as they care for the needs of fellow believers. So the question then comes, now you'll have learnt this in Sunday school, I'm sure. Are these people, the sheep on the right, are they saved? Are they sheep? Are they on the right because of these good things that they do? What's the answer at the back, Margaret? Yes, you're right. The answer is yes, they are saved, but it's not because of the things that they do. That's the important distinction. They're not saved because they do these things. And we read that in verse 34. In verse 34, it says, Come, you who are blessed by my Father. Come, you who are blessed by my Father. See, the basis of entry into the kingdom of God is God's grace. God has chosen. It's God's sovereign grace, not what we have done. It's what he has done. Verse 34 also tells us, it says, again, it says, inherit the kingdom prepared for you. This implies family. Those on the right are from the family of God. We are part of God's family. That is why we have an inheritance in his kingdom. We are mem family members of the king. And also in verse 34, we read that it has been prepared from the foundation of the world. This also reminds us that right from the beginning of time, God has predestined his great plan. You see, these people on the right hand of Jesus who enter the kingdom of God, they're there by the gift of God's grace, made part of God's family through faith in Jesus, chosen before the world even began. The works we see described there of feeding the hungry of giving uh, sustenance to the thirsty, of giving shelter to those who need it, of clothing those who are without clothing, of visiting the sick. These works described are not what make us part of God's family. We're not able to share in God's inheritance because of anything that we have done. It is because we are saved that we do these good works. We do these good works because we are saved. It shows on the outside what has changed on the inside. So verse 34 shows us the fact of our salvation and 35 and 36 show us the proof of it. So for young and for old, for all of us, we are saved by grace. That's the only way we can be saved. We are saved by grace through faith. These are some of, and these in verse 35 and 6 are some of the ways that that is visible to those around in the way that we act. We show that we are by responding to the needs of others. These needs listed here are just some of the many needs, the many needs that are out there in society. These are needs that we maybe don't see so much these days, do we? Because we have a, a health system and we have, um, we have a welfare system. But there are plenty of things that our fellow brothers and sisters need that we can help them with then we see in verse 37 we read then the righteous will answer him saying lord when did we see you hungry you see it says they're the righteous these are those who are right before god those on the right hand side the sheep those we're looking at right now are the righteous. They are right before God, not because of anything they've done, but because of what has been done on their behalf. Because of that, 
they do these good deeds. And as we see here specifically, it's talking of good deeds done towards God's people. See, in verse 40, it says, And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did to one of the least of my brothers, you did it to me. So it's this that shows what has already happened on the inside. Then in the closing verses, we see the goats. Now, nobody, as farmers, we don't usually like goats. Uh, goats are a pain. And here, uh, uh, in God's word, we see that the, the goats are not what we want to be. On the left, we have the goats who don't make it into God's kingdom. We read that they have not seen or taken care of the needs of others. And that's because they are not saved and they have no desire to do so. We read also in Matthew chapter 7, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many <clears throat> mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So here we see that it's the daily humble love expressed to others, not the huge grand gestures. It's in the routine of every day that our hearts are revealed. Galatians 6 and verse 10 says, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. The Bible teaches us, doesn't it, that saved people, redeemed people, those who are made right before him, the children of the king, should show his characteristics. So I've this week been challenged, and I wonder if you may be challenged too, but I was certainly challenged. I was challenged, what have I done this week to meet the need of others, especially fellow believers? When was the last time I gave up my time to visit or to call or to check in on someone to help out where someone is finding things tough it's been a challenge to me when was the last time you or i gave up doing something we wanted in order to meet the need of others and that's the same for young and it is as it is for old maybe you're young and you're thinking what can i really do to help others well, there's all thought, sorts of things we can do at home isn't there that show and express our love for Jesus as we seek to serve him and help at home. So as we sort of close this morning, all of us, young and old, will one day stand before our Heavenly Father. As we see here, and it shows us that we will face the Lord one day. And we will hear one of two messages. Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you before the foundation of the world. And that's because he sees in your life the love of the Lord in the way you act towards other Christians. It's because of what Jesus has done in our hearts and lives. It's because when he looks on us, he sees the blood of Jesus. And this is outwardly expressed in how we care for others and care for their needs. So the question is, what are we doing for others? Not because it's what saves us, but because we are saved, we should demonstrate it in that way. <laughs> so there's the difference between these two groups. One group entered the kingdom of God because of what Christ has done, because they are chosen by God, because they are drawn by him to, unto himself. And the other group are condemned 
not because of what they have done, but because of what they have not done. Take the five bridesmaids that miss out on the wedding from our earlier little illustration. They missed out on the wedding feast because they were not ready. They were not prepared. It wasn't because of the specific level of sin in their lives. No sin is greater than another sin. Each sin keeps us from heaven. It is because they were not prepared and ready for his return. They didn't have any oil. They were not prepared. You see, no matter what the sin is in our lives, it's never that great that it's unforgivable. It's simply not having Jesus in our lives that results in condemnation <clears throat> rather than the size or magnitude of any sin that we think. <clears throat> we very easily, don't we, give a, um, a magnitude or a size to sin. We think some sins are worse than others. No sin is too great for Jesus to cover. He lived a life of perfectness, a life without sin, a life which covers over all sin on our behalf. So the question is, what will you hear? Come you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world, or depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life let's just pray heavenly father we ask that as we have listened to your word this morning we recognize so clearly that there are just two groups of people we ask and pray heavenly father this morning that you would show us clearly which of these two groups we belong to that each of us would have no doubt as to which we belong to and we ask and pray heavenly father for any who recognize that they are not part of your kingdom they're not sat at the right hand they are not the sheep of your pasture we ask and pray heavenly father that you would draw them to yourself you would show them your love for them we ask these things in your name amen <clears throat>